0: On this episode of Psalm Sketches, we'll take a look at Psalm 28, a Psalm of David. But first, a musical reflection based on the psalm.
1: Do not be deaf to me, let my voice be yours. Yeah. yeah. My heart leaps up like a child not yet born at the voice of your justice outside the walls of the world. My heart leaps up like a child not yet born at the voice of your justice outside the walls.
0: One of the trickiest parts of interpreting the meaning of David's Psalms is not the language itself or the techniques of poetry that he employs in his Psalms. It's actually that we don't know where to situate the Psalm within the historical context of David's life. David lived a pretty varied life. He he grows up a a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And then um, as he matures, of course, he ends up joining the armies of Israel, and then ultimately becomes the king of Israel. And there are a host of things that happen in between, all sorts of adventures described in the Bible. So we don't know exactly when he wrote these psalms. In a few cases, David will notate, or perhaps a a later writer notated, on what occasion David wrote the psalm at hand. But in the case of Psalm 28, we don't know, and he doesn't get into enough specifics in the text of the psalm to let us know what is happening so I think it's best when we lack the knowledge of when it took place to view it as a more general psalm one perhaps that David wrote as an echo of many times in his life when he experienced a similar um, experience or a similar emotional impasse let me read it first from the New International Version Psalm 28 of David to you Lord I call you are my rock Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands toward your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors but harbor malice in their hearts. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done, and bring back on them what they deserve. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what His hands have done, He will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him, and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now one thing that I always teach students who are studying poetry and who are very new to the form is that everything in a poem is particularly intentional. Right? In a short space of time, a poet must make a point or a series of points that are connected in some way uh, through a limited uh, amount of language. And In this case, David does something in the psalm which puzzled me at first. Uh, he, he begins by asking for God's help uh, and begging God not to turn a deaf ear to him. And then through the entire center of the psalm, he compares himself to those who walk in deceit, those who abuse and shrewdly manipulate other people uh, and sort of uh, uh, ascribes judgment to them. And then at the end of the psalm, he thanks God for hearing him and providing help not only to him, but in the long view to Israel, to God's people, to his anointed one and to his chosen people more broadly. So it's a difficult structure. Um, It's not that complicated, but I don't know why David situates in a psalm of supplication a judgment towards those who manipulate or abuse other people. But when you brush up against these sort of structural confusions in, in analyzing poetry, the best thing to do is to tackle them head on, I think. And the same is true of the Bible. When we read a, an ancient poem, it's good to say, I don't understand this, and then to look at it from a couple different angles and see if you can suss out what exactly David is trying to do. Now I don't have any authority to say that this is the way he means for it to be perceived, 100%, without doubt, unequivocally, but I do think that we can get a lot farther by embracing that and not trying to separate the psalm into little chunks and throw out parts of it and hold on to the parts that are clear. So here's I think what David is addressing in this psalm. He's obviously uh, remembering or writing this in exactly at the time that he is facing a great obstacle in his life. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit, meaning those who have died. So he's saying that apart from God's uh, intervention in his life, he will be like those who are dead. Now it could mean two things. There, one that he will die because his opponent will take his life, but it could also mean that he that he will find no meaning in life once God withdraws from intervening in David's life. So until he, until he senses again that God is active in his life, he feels like someone who has no purpose for living. Now this is something that a lot of us can relate to. Um, one of the the, the most challenging questions that Christians have to ask is what is the what is the deal with with the moments of life that where God feels absent how do we begin to explain to someone who's considering walking with God in in religious faith that there will be times when it feels as though God is absent first of all it's comforting because David felt despite his his love for God and despite the many times God intervened in David's life already he feels as though perhaps this time God won't answer. Um, He begs God not to be deaf to him. Um, The sense here being that God deliberately ignores him. Now, I don't think David believed God would do that. He doesn't speak here of of his personal sin uh, in a great deal. In fact, he sort of suggests that he is doing his best to follow God, and he judges other people for their sin. So even though he feels like he's in a position of living rightly, of, of doing his best to follow God's commands, um. We get here a sense that David feels like God has suspended his active intervention into David's life, that God has suspended his, his attention and his compassion for David in the midst of trial. So David pleads for this and he asks for God's help. Then we get to the second section where David attacks those who manipulate others. He cites a couple things that they do and, and most of the examples he describes are of people who are fakes, hypocrites, posers. And David says that these people have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what he has done. Uh, His suggestion seems to be that those who are not attentive to God, those who do not take the request to God, will find other channels to accomplish what they hope to accomplish. When he has a desire for help, when he has a desire to get something he needs, he goes to God. And so he separates or contrasts himself with those who seek uh, help in trickery and manipulation and deceit he says that the people who do this have given up they've disregarded the deeds of the lord they don't remember how life is designed to work that human beings are to rely on god to sort out their problems to carry them through suffering um, to bring them up to a place of fame and prominence and they've sought other channels The book of Proverbs uh, provides example after example of how uh, this sort of path of manipulation and cheating to get what you want leads always to death and disgrace in the long run. And so David seems to say that the temptation he faces is to give up, to give up on trusting the Lord to provide for him and to rely instead on the pathways of deceit and on the means of evil to get what he needs. And he condemns those who do so. At the end of the psalm then he responds as though God has answered his prayer and it's unclear to me whether God has actually answered his prayer or if he's sort of thanking God in advance visualizing that God will deliver him in the future but he certainly here uh, looks back referentially at what God had done in the history of Israel he's probably imagining the stories of God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt of his faithfulness to provide food in the wilderness of his defeat of Israel's enemies despite the odds uh, stacked against them uh, when they entered into Canaan. Um, He's seeing God's providence and God's care through the the dark times of the judges, and uh, in the midst of this, David says, God, you have been faithful, and you have been faithful in my life, and therefore, I trust that as always, you will show up, you will deliver, you will make all things right. Or to quote a New Testament reference, you will Bring all things to good for those that love God. So what does it have to do uh, with our situation, our lives, as we look back on the psalm as we read it? Um, number one, I think it is common for Christians who trust in the Lord, at least on paper, who, who put their faith in God and come to God with requests for his deliverance and help to also kind of harbor in our back pocket um, as plan B. And what I mean is we sort of visualize what we might have to do if God doesn't deliver us. And uh, whether it is perhaps telling a half-truth to someone that we, we lean on for trust, um, whether it is losing our temper or manipulating someone because they won't give us what we want uh, when we want it or feel like we need it. And so we sort of uh, treat them scornfully or we pressure them uh, wrongly or we speak falsely to them to get what we want. Um, or manipulating and abusing power to cause change in a community when in fact you should wait for the Lord to effect that change. Right? Sometimes in, in churches, even religious bodies, we see people who have power um, use it to pressure others. Um, they sort of bend the rules and they, and they work through back channels to get what they want. And maybe it's something they believe is good, but they do it in an evil way in a way that brings shame to the cause of Christ, rather than praying earnestly for God to deliver, for God to make right. So, so when I read this, the first application that pops into my head is, I need not to rely on a plan B. Even when it feels like God isn't answering me, I need to remind myself of what God has done, of how he's always been faithful, and not wander off of that path that God has called me to follow, whether that path is shadowy, Or whether the sun is beating down on the path, making God's will and his presence and his providence very clear in that moment. So like David, when we feel pressured, when we feel um, burdened, when we face the stresses of life, we first take a request to God. There's nothing shameful about opening up and saying out loud what we need from God. Then two, reminding ourselves that God alone should be the solution and the salvation we crave. Not seeking any back channels, any manipulation, uh, compromising uh, the will of God with the, the evil and the brokenness of human techniques to get uh, what, what people want. We don't want to have a hybrid faith, half carnal, half holy. We want to pursue holiness, we want to lean on God, and that really is the expression of our faith. As we walk forward from a place of salvation, we first trust God to save us from sin, but then we continue to lean on God to provide for us and to save us from all the circumstances that we face, no matter how much challenging or dark life might get. And lastly, I think God wants us, as I've said many times before in looking at these psalms, David rehearses God's faithfulness. He visualizes it. He talks about it. He reminds himself of how God has been faithful in the past and invites God to continue to work faithfully in the future and that visualization of god's faithfulness that visualization of god's goodness and deliverance combined with a remembrance of what god has done in the past gives us i think a boost to our faith that enables us to walk through the moments where where we are in between the in-between moments the passages of of life where god has delivered but is not now delivering where God will deliver but is not now delivering. In those in-between moments, in those shadows and valleys, that is where we have to, like David did, remind ourselves what God has done, visualize and celebrate what he is going to do in faith, and remind ourselves, when drawn away from the path, that it is not for us to take matters into our own hands and solve problems in our life with an unholy um, uh, technique or an unholy Plot. So that's a quick look at Psalm uh, 28, and uh, it is an encouraging psalm and with an interesting structure. And uh, again, I hope that it was an encouragement to you um, to walk through this with me today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you have a comment, you can uh, do so uh, at Psalm Sketches on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you, and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon.